welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. What does that mean for you, the listener? Well, if you this is new for you and this is the first time you've joined us, that means you're going to get a lot of experts in the Amazon e-commerce space in sourcing logistics, marketing, advertising, international growth. Uh, your listing uh, optimization, your uh, sourcing logistics, direct-to-consumer, you name it, we're going to be talking about it right here on this podcast. Every episode, we bring on a special guest or guest where they talk about their expertise in their space, whether it be from their company or as a seller or an entrepreneur or just have great thought leadership surrounding them. Uh, This is a live podcast, so if you happen to be listening to us and come across this page on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, Welcome, uh, welcome back for all the uh, wonderful listeners. This is episode two twenty five. We're just gonna keep on chugging along on this great podcast two twenty five. Uh, it, because it's live, it is also engaging. So if you have a question for myself or our guest, you can always ask in the comment section below. Just go ahead and type out your question, or just let us know where you're listening from. That's always nice to see where people are tuning in from. We love having people drop in just to say hi. If you can't stay the whole time not a problem. But if you are listening to us at a later time, you can check out the replay on LinkedIn, YouTube, all your favorite podcast destinations as well as they get updated. Or you can just go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast for all of the transcripts, key takeaways, and past episodes, both video and audio. That's the best place to go. And every episode on here is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Quick shout out to Ping Pong, cross-border payment solution, helping people keep more of their hard-earned money. Speaking of hard-earned money, we're going to be talking about that today. I'm really excited about um, the the company and the person that we're talking with today. As everyone knows, Ping Pong is a global payments service provider helping people save time, money, and effort. A lot of it's on Amazon, different marketplaces all around the world, whether it's sending or receiving funds. That is the ecosystem we've built out here on our team. But there's other companies that do fantastic things as well, going into direct-to-consumer space, cross-border payments, FX, just knowing the ins and outs of everything in the in the entrepreneur space to help them grow when it comes to growing their business. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. Titled it, very simply, straightforward, all about e-commerce payments. So we brought on today a special guest joining us from Austin, Texas, which Feels like where 90% of all tech companies now exist are. Um, we're bringing on Matt Steinbrecher of Reach. Joining us today, not for the show yet, but joining us from Austin, Texas, is the director of partnerships, Matt Steinbrecher of Reach. Matt, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having me on today. Uh, I, w- I almost said Aaron Rodgers, but... My man, <laughs> the hair is flowing. If you're listening to this right now, this this guy is a impeccable. I, I said this in our first meeting that we talked about. Has anyone ever called you Aaron Rodgers? And if so, that I mean that that hair, man, it's amazing. I wish I had <laughs> I had more of it just to even <laughs> try something like that. <laughs> yeah, I should have I left it wet and slicked back. It would have been God. perfect. <laughs> Put a little man, gel in it. <laughs> if you had a Green Bay Packers hat on right now, I'd be... Yeah, uh, i just get, get a little frame going. <laughs> that's right. I mean, hey, it, anything, I, I feel like Pat McAfee or anyone like that who's talking <laughs> with them on the podcast. So, hey, man, uh, I appreciate you getting up a little bit earlier today uh, from Austin, Texas. Uh Matt, I, I know your background. I think it's pretty fantastic. We put it short and sweet on our uh, show notes and description, but tell me a little bit about your background, kind of where you got to. Have you always been in e-commerce and payment space? What, what's that background been like since 
either college or what got you interested in this space altogether? Yeah, I actually, um, I started in foreign exchange, oddly enough, uh, was, you know, studying economics in school and, and I actually went overseas to South Africa and, uh, I was studying at the university of Cape town and I was there for about a year, year and a half. And during my time there, the South African Rand, their national currency had depreciated from nine Rand to $1, uh, to 11 Rand to $1. And so for me, you know, being somebody got richer (laughs) now that's that's cheaper beer in my in my books so uh you know it was it was pretty fascinating and and from there it just really started to spark my interest around you know the world trade organization um trade agreements and really just all the things from a macroeconomic level uh long story short just got super fascinated with foreign exchange and how weird that market is where there's a lot of fundamentals that play into it but it's extremely speculative uh, finished studying that, went into a, a Forex brokerage, um, you know, was an FX broker for a while for uh, both individuals and institutions. And then, uh, you know, I met a couple guys from the reach side, uh, different, different name back then, but uh, maybe about six or so years ago now, something like that. And, um, you know, we, uh, we were focusing on, on a lot of foreign exchange. They had some cool capabilities uh, and then they had some really cool receivables capabilities and it was applying to e-commerce. I didn't really know much about e-commerce before that. Um, so it was a pretty new industry to dive into, but I definitely dip, dove in head first and it's been quite a fun learning experience. So you've been there for how long? Six years? Is that what you were saying? Yep. Yeah. About six Great. years. Look at that loyalty over there. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, like how big is reach right now? Like you guys are pretty pretty big or are you guys still a small but mighty team what's that look like on your end yeah it depends on your relativity of big but we're we're still pretty small overall Uh, when i joined we were maybe 10 12 people um so we were just kind of a startup out of a garage kind of scrappy level um and i just thought that they had a cool business model and really just wanted to stick it out now we're about 140 globally um, on offers offices and you know every continent except Antarctica, but, uh, you're getting yeah. there maybe sooner. Yeah. Later. Maybe someday <laughs> we'll have to colonize Mars first before we colonize <laughs> Antarctica. So that would be more interesting. Stepping, <laughs> stepping process. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, galactic currency is the next step there. So, <laughs> uh, no, we, we joke around about that. I think that's fantastic. I think it's really cool. So you guys are servicing, uh, who is like, what is reach to, to the get go? I know we were talking about this from the get go ping pong is, in the currency space reaches in this currency space yep. if you got like the the spider-man uh meme out here like do we look like each other we actually do over yeah are, are you are we looking at the same person that's not true i think we service a lot of the uh, same but different clients in different capacities too like we focus yeah. on amazon but also supplier pay you guys more of the d to c more uh more the shopify websites e-commerce side of things in that regards correct yeah, so we really focus on the the direct consumer account receivables. So like accepting payments from consumers and then making that shopping experience easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference with, you know, players like Amazon is like Amazon controls all of their payments. You know, they right. have Amazon payments, of course, as, as their own payment method. But everything you do through Amazon is all purchased um, as a consumer uh, directly through their sort of payment rails. What we do is is help direct-to-consumer e-commerce merchants um, really focusing on 
how do I compete with Amazon in the same way that a lot of logistics companies work directly with businesses and say, how do you compete with free two day prime? Like that's pretty hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we kind of do the same thing from a payments perspective. And the idea is just to help, you know, mom and pop stores be a little bit more competitive, right. Uh, to be able to get their name and their brand out there. And sometimes these aren't mom and pop stores too, right. They could be billion dollar plus companies or publicly traded, whatever. Um, but the idea is being able to give them that presence. I mean, Amazon's got offices all over the world. They've got way more money than, than most of the e-commerce market can afford. Um, and so the infrastructure they have behind them, the banks, all that foreign exchange is a very confusing thing. They've got probably a couple hundred people on their team that just do Forex. Um, you know, most of the businesses we're working with maybe have 200 people, right? Um, so it's a significantly different level of scale. And I think it's very difficult for brands and retailers in this day and age to really compete in that space, uh, just to give the shopper the same experience they would have on Amazon. Uh, so it's a, you know, relatively frictionless experience and, and that's really what we focus on. Um, so it de- definitely does come into currency, uh, mm-hmm. you know, offering a shopper their local currency right when they land on a website or even when they see an ad on Google or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, uh, being able to see that native currency experience is kind of like the first touch point. And then, of course, there's localized payment methods. Not everybody pays with credit cards and PayPal around the world. Shockingly, uh, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and then just, you know, all the little details, uh, consumer experience nuances, really understanding that, you know, people in Dubai are going to shop way differently than people in London or L.A. Uh, and you need to be able to know that as a as a business that's selling internationally because at the end of the day if you're an e-commerce business like you're global from day one anyone can go to your website um so you whether you like it or not whether you're shipping there you may have organic traffic from international people it's just how well are you actually capturing those consumers absolutely that's a great point i i want to i want to kind of like take that in maybe run with it this episode of Shopify came out with their 2021 report, and I'm a big nerd in terms of data and analytics and following what that data means. It's it's it, it, you can't go wrong when you follow actual data and, and and letting that lead to your decision. That being said, people are understanding. I don't know if I actually sell internationally. I just sell in the United States. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, you have no dictate. Like you don't dictate that. It's it's the shopper who dictates that. So. What I mean by that is a lot of the time when consumers looking around the world or looking at your website, if they happen to land on it, they might be located in Canada. Your website's in the United States. How do they shop? Well, they send it to you. You're not focused on Canada maybe, but your consumer, if they make a purchase, you're still facilitating that transaction. It's coming to Canada. You are an international business. Shopify stated that most of their business growth opportunities happen to be, I think it was over a quarter of commerce is happening cross border, not just mm-hmm. international cross border, uh, from wherever that that website was positioned or stationed. And I think that's so crazy to think that people are not thinking about the possibility of my business can be bigger just with a couple tweaks here and there. Currency is one of them. Obviously, localization, a couple of those other opportunities, sourcing logistics, but your brand and how people find you is so much easier, so much more nuanced, and it gets to you, maybe not how the flow that you wanted to, but they're going to find you in one way, shape, or form. So can, like, what's that conversation like with some of these direct-to-consumer companies of, 
I don't know if we're ready for like international like growth or anything like that. What what are you guys experiencing in that that forum, if you will? Yeah, I think you you definitely get a couple personas as always. Um, one of them is certainly international is big and scary, and we're just going to stick to what we know. Um, that's generally the most common um, that you see from smaller businesses that are either fast growing and they've got enough problems on their plate that they don't really need to go international, right? Which means that they're healthy, they're profitable, they're growing, and they don't want to grow faster because they can't handle the scale yet. Um, and then there's lots of businesses that look at the data and are a little more driven and they say, wow, cross-border itself is growing at twice the pace of domestic. Why not capture that? Um, now, yes, is it harder to sell cross-border than, than domestically? Yeah, there are absolutely hurdles. There's cultural differences, there's currencies, there's shipping timelines, all sorts of other stuff. But at the end of the day, consumers want products. And especially if you have a unique product, like if you have a pretty homogeneous good, um, basically, you know, anything that can be sold anywhere, you know, toilet paper is a great example. Not a lot of people are super loyal to a certain toilet paper brand. They right. might know what kind they like, but they're not going to be, they're not going to bend over backwards if it's going to take them an extra two weeks to get toilet paper from some other company. Yeah. Um, you're talking about clothes and fashion, nutraceuticals, um, beauty, cosmetics, all the different verticals that are very unique and can have a, a real brand presence um, to the actual consumer. It's uh, you're going to have massive growth. So I think a lot of a lot of businesses are starting to realize, especially obviously the pandemic, as with everything in e-commerce, really fueled that. Um, but a lot of businesses are starting to realize that cross-border is is certainly not as scary as it as it once was due to companies like ourselves, at mm -hmm. least as one piece of the ecosystem and many others that we partner with around language localization, you know, uh, landing costs for duties and taxes and all the different sort of complexities, you start to piece it together. And once you understand what the end product or shopping experience should be for your consumers, you can plug in the right vendors to make that happen um, while still having sort of that direct brand experience with them. Right. I think that's that's sort of the way that, that a lot of people are starting to move. Um, but we're seeing a lot of brands too that are, that are just straight looking at data, uh, especially if they have outside funding. And of course they have access to better analysts um, from, you know, uh, VCs or whatever it might be, right. That really helps them understand where the growth trajectory is um, and then better service those clients. All right. So this conversation, what was it like since you've been there a little while, you obviously know pre pandemic kind of put like on the back. I would, I would say like we're in the latter half, hopefully, of a pandemic like what was that like what was that big worldwide notion in which you you saw either lots of change and scramble or you saw a lot of people seizing opportunity what was that big moment for you guys to to kind of support other businesses as they try to figure out what was going on and then as they went through like these ups and downs i would say the last two years i call it the death by a thousand paper cuts of <laughs> there's all these little nuances hey oh by the way this stinks and sucks on Amazon or hey logistics and so I can't get my goods until you know six weeks more than when I ordered it um, even longer uh, people are trying to figure out all these different things and it's it's overwhelming it's you know consuming of time what, what what's that transition maybe like 2019 to like where we are today like fast forward three years um, it's obviously been a massive shift uh, just overall I mean consumer trends have 
dramatically changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just the way that people want to shop. Um, you know, everything from buy now, pay laters to just change in general cultural behaviors because of the fact that, you know, people are very much so focused on what's in front of them, which is generally the pandemic or lockdowns. And it's been a, you know, a difficult road for a lot of different countries too. But I think the fundamental change is that many, from from a shopper standpoint, many people that never shopped online before, um, even me personally, right? Like I I would never buy a pair of shoes online, uh, but I did for the first time for the pandemic. Uh, mainly because I'm the type of person that, you know, again, personal preference. I want to try it on. I want to see mm-hmm. it. I want to make sure it fits my weirdly shaped feet and all that stuff. Right. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. So that that's just my style. Uh, and and but there's other things that I would totally buy online and, and have bought online pre pandemic. But you also have older demographics that really aren't, you know, not into the whole Amazon era type of thing. And and you know, there's, there's different areas in the world that typically getting packages to them is a lot more difficult. It needs to go to a distribution center and then they have to go pick it up because maybe they live in like a favela uh, or something like that, right? Where, you know, you don't have a delivery guy that comes to your doorstep because it's a little different in certain parts of the world, right? So all of these little changes really kind of just dramatically shifted with the pandemic because, uh, everyone obviously was affected. And so governments around the world really started to lock down. And from a consumer perspective, you didn't really have a lot of options. Um, you know, you you weren't able to, I mean, here in, in the US, at least in the, in the very beginning stages, in certain places, you were only allowed to go to the grocery store and everything else you couldn't really do. Right. Um, so if you needed to get anything that was a non-essential, you would have to then have that shipped to your door. And so it really forced people that never really wanted to buy online or just wouldn't think about it. They'd be like, oh, I'll just go to the store after I'm done with grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, they now had to shift to online. And then you have all these huge box office brands, right? The Nordstrom's, the Macy's, all, all those players in the world. They've got, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in, in real estate assets that are shut down. Uh, and because it's shopping, it's the last thing to open up. It's a non-essential business. And so all of these major companies have to shift to online and digital presences. And so now for everyone that's more on their computers, sitting at home more versus being out and about and around the world, um, you're, you're starting to get more ads, right? So all of those little weird changes really start to drive consumer behavior. And that makes a big difference in the way that brands need to react to capture that consumer behavior and capture their audiences. Uh, because obviously without the consumers, they're, they're not going to go anywhere and they're not going to grow. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was like on the consumer side and, and definitely some, some pretty staggering changes there. Uh, but I think brands have really been able to fully focus in and capture on understanding that they need to have a digital presence, uh, digital first presence um, for the most part, and then make sure that they're, catering to that international audience for sure well what about um so in that regards just to clarify for people like if you're working with these companies you're not the processor right like no one's putting in are, are you the processor like a? I, I know that term i'm trying to dumb it down uh to make sure if someone hears processor that when they hear about ping pong they're like are you guys a processor like a stripe or like a um 
uh, I'm trying to think of all the companies out there. You guys aren't that yeah. correct. You're not taking credit cards and you're making those transactions, right? It's coming directly from bank account to bank account. Is that where you guys are working with in that point, point to point? Or how, how are we set up for reach? No, so it's um, it's more, it, it is taking credit cards. Okay. Um, so we would use different processors on the back end. Um, so like a Stripe, for example, um, okay. or, or lots of others. I mean, there's Adyen, WorldPay, Checkout. There's you know thousands of them around the world. Right. Um, the way we do it is, is we actually work with, so it's, it's not just that. We'll also offer PayPal, for example. Sure. Um, and then we'll also offer Klarna. We we're talking about buy now, pay later. It's Klarna. After right. That was my next question. You know, yeah. all, all the other new ones that just came out of nowhere, um, seemingly, right? They were growing well before the- They were there, but yeah, they really pandemic. took off. Yeah, but the, uh, the, the growth definitely was fueled by a lot of people having uncertainty around, am I about to get laid off? You know, my company shut down our office. We're having 10% of the staff just got laid off. Maybe I need to put this on installments or I don't need to, but it might be nice to, right? Um, and just give them a little more financial flexibility. And so there was a massive boom in all of those players. Uh, and of course, there's some that are really good in certain countries and others. But our fundamental principle is when you come to a website, you want to be able to see all the prices in your local currency at a rate that's not only guaranteed, so it's not like this is what you might pay, um, but it's a it's a guaranteed rate uh, for your foreign exchange, right? So you understand that this is the price you see, this is the price that you will pay, but also that it's not a crazy markup. You know, anyone that's ever traveled in the world before, if you needed to get cash when you landed in the new country and you try to do it at the airport and you Google what the rate is, you're like, yeah. oh man, I'm getting ripped off here, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, that's, that's the key. You don't want to feel like you're getting ripped off. You want to feel like you're getting a fair deal. And you want to feel like you don't even have to even think about it because of the fact that you already saw your native currency when you landed on there. So that split second psychologically is like, all right, I know how much this is. It's 40 euros or 40 Australian dollars or whatever. Is it frustrating? Do you think like um, from a buyer psychology, if you're, you land on a page and you don't see your currency right away, for example, like I'll speak to a personal preference of, I see it on there and all of a sudden I see I see a year, not that a euro is a big difference, but um, maybe um, like an Australian dollar or you see some different currency facing at you in the face. And you're like, I don't know what that is and that translates to. Is it a lot? Is it a little? Is that something that you guys have to help people overcome with that? And that's why a solution like yours is a little bit more like more nuanced. It's, it's even a psychological level of, well, I don't know how much this actually is. I don't want to Google it because that would yep. just be pointless. So what's that like? Yeah. And, and this is where we go back to the data too, right? Like not only is it a psychological thing to be like, eh, I don't know how much, like if I was to ask you right now, like how much is 40 British pounds or whatever, right? You, you might not know. Um, or like, what's the exchange rate to Malaysian ringgit? You're probably not going to know. Um, but you might have consumers in Malaysia. So, so the first thing is obviously like the psychology. It's that split second decision of uh, feeling more comfortable when you see that product. Uh, the second is actually driven by data. And so, I don't know, there's there's tons of, you know, surveys and data points out there that are focused around card abandonment and bounce rates. But typically, if someone comes to your site and they do not know how much that product is in their native currency, and they open a new tab to, or if they're on their 
phone, they have to still open a new tab and now they're completely on a different site and they're going to Google how much is 40 euros to USD today. And then all of a sudden they're on Google and now all of a sudden you completely lost track. They've, they've lost what they're doing, right? And exactly. now you've lost that customer. You have an abandoned cart, you have a bounce from your, your website. Now, again, if you have a very captivating product and that person's like, yep, I'm going to buy this thing, man. Like, no, no questions, I'm getting it. Um, that's a different story if you have something that's like that. But most people have stuff that is, again, it, it could be replaced by a competitor. And so if you caught them from like an Instagram ad, which you paid $20, let's say, cost per click to get them to your website to buy something, and then they do that, well, that in turn, A, costs you money on your ad spends, being unsuccessful for capturing your, your audience to a conversion. Uh, but B, it's also, it's increasing your bounce rate on your site. So there's a lot of psychology that plays into it. It's definitely driven by metrics. Um, you know, we do tons of case studies with our clients around this of just how bad is your bounce rate? And this is just the first point of localization when it comes to your actual payments, right? It's just showing them their native currency. Um, and it's, it's usually not that daunting of a task to do on a website, uh, but it goes a very, very, very long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the two things that drive it. What about, um, so when, when you're on a website, like a, any DTC site, it, it, do you guys work with like the tax or like show that reference to just because of, I would think this is kind of difficult on our end because I know here at ping pong, we don't really handle that, that transactional and that tax that's tax component. So when I start to think to the components of you need to collect tax and you collect all these other nuances each country might have a different rate. Are you, how, how does that work in that regards? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. Taxes uh, is the bane of existence for a million dollar question. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, the, the crazy part too, is that, you know, kind of coming back to pandemic shifts, something else that fundamentally changed is that more and more countries now because cross borders growing at twice the rate of domestic, more and more countries are seeing imports coming in like crazy from e-commerce specifically. And so all those governments are looking at all of this tax-free, all these tax-free dollars that are coming in and shipping providers are making money, brands overseas are making money, but they're not getting taxes on it. And so they're really starting to crack down. Brexit was obviously the biggest one with direct consumer um, because now both the EU and the UK are requiring a lot of uh, additional tax scrutiny to get products into the country. And that's absolutely something we help with. Um, again, from, from our perspective, the way we try to, we're, we're shopper focused, right? Like make the shopper happy, give them the experience they get on Amazon, uh, on your own website, but you also have to make the merchant happy because doing taxes internationally, plus foreign currencies, new payment methods, like all this stuff is not easy. Right. And so if you look at it individually, it becomes a very daunting task. So it's something that we kind of have available within, you know, our technical rails. Uh, we plug into a lot of different tax providers as well. It really just depends on the complexity of the merchant and what they're looking for. But at the end of the day, we we offer solutions there that would help them offset that burden to us uh, or to one of our, you know, kind of third party tax solutions as well. Uh, should they feel like they want to use um someone extra or just kind of outsource it in one stop shop, but we have the solutions for the tax. And, and that's really, that's another key component of the consumer behaviors that have shifted as well as, 
you know, if you're charging a hundred dollars for a good, and let's just say it's 10 bucks for shipping as a consumer, I'm seeing $110. It's like, okay, great. But then if it's like, oh, well, the government also is going to charge me another 20 or 30% for duties and taxes on this order. As a consumer, I'm still not going to look at that as a government fee. I'm looking at that as a brand. The brand is charging me. Mm -hmm. The company is charging me this. And so they're complaining to the company and the company's like, I got to pay taxes. I don't know what to tell you. And so that's another weird nuance where a lot of a lot of businesses are starting to learn the actual best practice of this and how to sort of bake those into prices. So again, psychologically, when I land on a site, instead of seeing it as 40 euros, I might see it as 45 euros. Uh, so I know that my taxes are already baked into that price. And that way there's no surprises later in the checkout. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing, yeah. Wor- there's nothing worse than going through three or four payment or your cart steps. And every time it goes to a different page, your price keeps trickling up and yep. you're like, yeah, this is changing. I'm yeah. not doing anything. I'm just putting my address, which again, uh, it goes back to all these different things, right. And domestically or internationally, depending on, and I've seen this done before, depending on where you're located based upon your zip code or address or country or whatever, that's where the price calculation can get stepped up and said, well, shipping's actually going to cost $12 instead of $8 right. by mail. So we have to actually increase a little bit more. So it's, it, like you said, it's the buyer psychology, which it really is uh, pretty interesting in that regards too. Um, do you guys touch anything about like discounts or anything like that? Or is that all in the ecosystem, like with Shopify or everything like that? How do you, how do you work with like discounts and making sure it's applicable to the country, the nature, and you're not like 15% obviously is actually 15% or if it's a dollar amount that weighing those two options, I'm, I'm curious what you guys do in that realm. Yeah, so it's uh, it it can definitely get complex. At the end of the day, like whether the whether the business is using Shopify or Magento or Big Commerce or WooCommerce or any of the major platforms out there, uh, or they've built their own, uh, which is still a pretty common practice. Um, basically, they get to own and control everything in their checkout. We don't hijack anything. It's it's completely all them. It's native. We keep it a super seamless experience for their shoppers. So we're kind of in the background, but the way it works for like gift cards or discount codes and things like that is, is we are, our APIs for the foreign exchange side, they help make sure that that comes out nicely. Uh, because if you do a $10, 10 us dollar discount applied to an Indian rupee order, it's going to come out kind of funky. Yeah. Um, and so the way that our APIs kind of manipulate those prices on the front end is that, you know, we basically make it look pretty for the consumer so that way, when you're shopping for a product and in the U.S. at least, you know, there's the whole joke around nine ninety nine, um, and having that sort of ninety nine cent rounding, um, we call it charming, uh, charming the value or vanity pricing. Uh, so you can have it as ninety nine cents, but as a consumer in the U.S., I'm pretty familiar with that. So I would know, like, okay, well these these guys are really trying to market to U.S. shoppers, um, and you know, so on and so forth across nuance around the world, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's pretty important, but yeah, the key is that they still, you know, you want to get businesses, you want to help them with their cross-border complexities, but you don't want to like hijack their whole business, right? Like you don't want to force them to do certain things. You want to try and be modular and that allows them to sort of pick and choose with stuff like discounts, how they want to do it. Um, and that's kind of where we come in and that's part of the process, right? Like when you're integrating or onboarding sort of like, what's your strategy today? What are your common practices? You know, what's working really well? 
Um, and how can we then add on top of that to not necessarily change your strategy, uh, just enhance it. Uh, and that's like a key component that I think a lot of vendors in, in the cross-border space miss quite a bit. It's sort of like an our way or the highway. And I think that that's not the right approach with this day and age because everyone's got different strategies. Right. Yeah, I, I know the strategies and kind of like the add-ons to certain websites of, hey, do you want to round up your purchase to go to charity or do you yeah. want to pay? You know what I mean? Like um, I've even said, hey, do you want to, when you're donating, and I don't think you guys touched the donation or nonprofit world, I, I would assume not, or you could maybe actually be a, a, a crux in there. But uh, a lot of people are saying, hey, do you want to pay for the taxes on this and take it off the 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 seller's component or the yep. the company's component and you pay yep. for that as well. So I've seen it all different ways of how do you emphasize of this, like maybe just a little bit more, just a little bit more good for good causes. I, I don't think it's like just a pocket it, but do you guys, do you guys support all those functionalities as well? Yeah. We don't work with like charities per right. se, but we do a lot of stuff. Uh, like uh, we work with a lot of businesses that'll do carbon offset uh, shipping methods for sure. Like, Hey, uh, you can save more if it all comes together and stuff totally. like, like an Amazon checkout of, do you want to get the quickest or do you want to get it all in one package? Yep, exactly. And that's, that's kind of the same thing that we want to give brands the opportunity to do because when Amazon did that with like prime day delivery, uh, with a single package versus getting one every other day, um, it, it was the same concept and, and the businesses basically wanted to be able to have an option there that made sense to them uh, and their shoppers. And that also helps with, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, sustainable brands out there. There's a lot of people that are trying to um, solve some of our issues with textiles and uh, they obviously want to make sure that that voice is heard. Right. Uh, and, and apparent. So even though it might be a little bit more expensive for shipping, the whole point is that it's carbon offsetting. And we absolutely work with, you know, tons of businesses that do stuff like that, or, you know, add an extra dollar to your order, plant a tree or whatever. Right? Yeah, um, exactly. all, all sorts of good stuff like that is, is absolutely, again, it comes down to your audience, right? Like who you, who you talking to, who you trying to capture on your website and how can we best do that in, you know, in the way that you want your brand to be perceived and yeah. all that stuff is, you know, these are all components of the consumer experience. Yeah. I, and I think like those are continuously evolving. I think, listening to consumer number one is, is the best case in what you offer. And I think that it obviously can come in forms of what your brand is or just hearing from customers like, Hey, it'd be nice if, you know, unprovoked write-ins and different things like that in terms of reviews. I, I think the two most major things I've heard recently, and maybe you guys are helping facilitate this in that regards is the trends of buy now, pay later, super popular. We kind of touched on it earlier. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And then also, blockchain and cryptocurrency and we don't have to talk on that because it's a little bit more nuanced and and touchy-feely uh, depending on who you are but curious to hear you like the trends on our companies asking for the support of one both neither what's your thoughts on that yeah although uh although i do find the crypto world fascinating um the reality of it is that it hasn't quite picked up for direct-to-consumer purchases right now um, there are obviously some exceptions to that, you know, Tesla, for example, uh, I've seen a lot of jewelry stores will start to accept Bitcoin. Um, at the end of the day, for your average consumer, they're probably not at the space yet of 
okay, I'm going to purchase this dress uh, for, you know, whatever event that I'm going to in a month from now or a couple of weeks, I'm going to purchase this using Bitcoin. It's not quite at that space. Um, and again, I just follow the data, right? It's not just me saying that. That's me looking at aggregate data across direct consumer brands and saying, where does this work and where does this not work? Uh, maybe it works for very high-end fashion jewelry because someone's like, cool, I made a hundred grand in Bitcoin. Let's go buy a nice ring. Yeah. Thing, I mean, you know? uh, but it's not really for like everyday purchases. It hasn't picked up. Also, the the uh, the other piece to it too is, is the banks, right? Uh, the banks haven't, not every bank has adopted cryptocurrency with open arms, mainly due to its uh, difficulty tracing origin of funds. So there's a lot of anti-money laundering stuff involved with it. Um, yeah. So banks try to stay away from that. But at the end of the day, again, from a consumer side, it it certainly does fit well in certain businesses, but it's a st it's still a pretty small pigeonhole, in my opinion, at this time. Is that the, would that be the, I mean, this is hypothetical. And again, we can't control banks and the value of things. Is that the ultimate level playing field though in terms of hey cross-border payments of now it's no longer like any rupee versus us dollar versus these it's just one currency across across all ecosystems virtually digitally whatever you want to call it is that the ultimate level playing field in your mind maybe yeah i mean i don't know too much about it i'm just asking like in, yeah, in this context it, of our conversation yeah yeah it, it depends how heavily it gets adopted because you have to think too right like i'm i'm based in Austin, Texas. So if I want to buy more Bitcoin um, because I can't sell something that I own and then get Bitcoin for it as easily, um, I have to then buy Bitcoin, which is tied to my US dollars. So it still has an effect on like my fiat currency, my, my local currency of my country, and then me loading up my account to be able to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. So I think until it becomes more of a, of a tradable commodity, like instead of Venmoing each other for dollars, you know, over uh, restaurants or whatever, or, or using PayPal, you're using Bitcoin rails. Um, again, it, that mass adoption isn't quite there. Right. But I think we're getting there. Right. And once yeah. we do, that's where it'll become sort of its own universal um, monetary value that it already is don't get me wrong it's just that it'll be more widely adopted at on an everyday use and that's the key right to to kind of transition a bit into the buy now pay later it's it's the it's the adoption which is super key cryptos it's there for a lot of people but not quite there for everyone uh, and i think until and a lot of that just has to do with like sort of the mysteriousness around it or whatever. And not a lot of people understand, well, what is blockchain? What are cryptocurrencies? How do they define their value? Uh, and then the speculative movement on them of how fast they fluctuate, obviously, is another thing. If someone puts 100 grand into Bitcoin to make purchases, uh, it can go down or up quite significantly. in a very All short I know time. is you're supposed to buy the dip. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have no idea. What the, no, I'm just kidding. Buy the dip and hope it doesn't keep going down. <laughs> Guys, yeah, it's it's a world it's a world I live in it with a lot of people who are who are really interested in it, which again yeah. it's it's fascinating. I even got a question on it yesterday of do you guys support crypto uh payments? And I said, honestly, we don't, but you know, we are very aware of it. I mean, it, it's just conversations of who's at the forefront, who really who's gonna take that first plunge. You guys you saw it with accepting you need people yeah. to accept it versus also people who are willing to receive it. So uh yeah. or send in receive and so on and so forth. Anyways, uh, little caveat there. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
because obviously some consumers are trying to make transactions, NFTs, things like that. Again, that's, that's a world that's still super young, still yeah. watching, really hard to under, I mean, not hard to understand. No people are um, simple with it, but um, just mass adoption. I think that's a major thing with, with the company like both of ours is you have to have mass adoption in order to make it worthwhile. I, I hate to yeah. say that. Worthwhile yeah. um, to support to make sure that it's safe and secure and reliable, so on and so forth. Right. Um, going to a couple other things, but I know like we have a little bit more time. So if you're out there listening live, if you have questions about um, for Matt or myself um, or about current e commerce currency, feel free to send those in the comment section below. I have plenty of questions lined up because we talk about this stuff all day long. So not yeah. a problem there. Um, the, the trend, I won't say trend, I think the strengthening of the component of buy now, pay later. I wanted to kind of yep. hop into that real quick. Um, buy now, pay later, um, for people that, that don't know, it's a component of almost like monthly installment payments to the entity you want to pay for instead of all at once. Amazon just adopted a firm, uh, direct consumer. Uh, I think a firm's a pretty big one um, that you guys are probably working with. I know there's lots out there, um, but it's the notion of, Hey, instead of a thousand dollar purchase for that that couch you might be buying online, hey, make uh, monthly installments of hundred bucks or two hundred bucks and pay it off over you know um, a ten or five months or whatever that looks like. Fee fee minimal fee associated with it to to kind of space it out. What's that component like with you? Is it strengthening quite a bit? People are like, oh, well, maybe adopt it. What's kind of the is there a lot more people that are opting into purchases now or is this kind of a more of a high-end focus for you guys? Yeah, I think it's definitely continued to grow. Um, part of it was, so there's a, there's a few different players out there. They all kind of have their own specific markets that they work with. So a firm, for example, really good for probably over a thousand dollar purchases, um, but they're primarily in the U S so they made tons of headway with Peloton as a great example. Um, now minus Peloton's PR backlash recently, um, you know, with, with Peloton, basically you could go, you could get your at home gym type of thing and you could pay it with a firm and it's like a $2,500 thing, but you could pay it interest free. That was their deal with Peloton is that you would always pay interest free. And that's awesome, right? If you have a large purchase like that for your everyday consumer and you also go to the gym, lockdowns happen with COVID and you want to be able to use that, um, mm -hmm. that new product. Well, you know, not everyone can drop $2,500 on, on. A new That's just product. right at once. Yeah. Which didn't make sense to me that like, I'm going to caveat, I'm assuming you're going to go to this. doesn't make sense. A consumer's like, what's the catch? What industry? A lot of the times there are yeah. people like, well, who's making, how's a firm flipping making money? It doesn't make sense to us. Lead to, I'm assuming what you're going to talk about. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So the key is that everyone's always making money. I want to be, I want to be clear about that. If it's zero, it's not zero. Like, exactly. We're like, you guys, I'm sure are the same thing at reach ping pong reach, very transparent companies of per transaction line by line, you know what you're paying, how much it costs, yep. what it is in the rates that only you can control. I'm assuming are the ones that are company rates and fees. Yep. Let's put it out there. It might be baked into a cost of front and the back end, but it's there somewhere. Someone's yep. always, taking their chunk. So just a little caveat there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just generally how finance works. Um, 
it's uh, nothing it's, in the world is free. Let's just be. Yeah. Honest. Yeah. It's, it's keeping the consumer feeling like they're getting a good deal, but on the back end, everyone's still making the same margin. The way that you do that in like a Peloton type of example, or, or really anything, uh, tons of mattress companies that would use a firm or anything else. A firm is charging if, if they're going to do an interest free sort of guarantee, a firm is going to charge essentially the interest to the brand. So instead of charging the brand, you know, maybe 4% to capture that transaction from the consumer, and handle the financing for them, they might charge them 5%. Uh, so they're getting an extra percent on top of the whole thing and they get that cost up front from the brand. Now the brand gets the benefit of saying, oh, well, you can pay interest-free in installments over you know, 20 months or whatever. Um, and so it's kind of a win-win, right? Like a firm gets the market adoption, the brand gets more consumers and the consumer's happy because they feel like they got an interest-free deal um, but at the end of the day, it's just baked into the margins. It's it's a marketing um, push to get them over the top to make that initial purchase. Again, yep. they'll they'll eat the cost. Just call it a, a marketing cost of X. Like you and I are in partnerships somewhere along the lines of if you could referral someone from an outside entity, they may not right. have came and purchased to you directly anyways. So almost like an affiliate, very yep. high level affiliate partnerships marketing back end. Yep. Who's going to be paying with it? It's the same thing with like Rakuten or cashback. Cashback is not magical. It doesn't magically appear. It's the brand that's giving half to, for in this example, Rakuten, half of it goes back to consumer. I could tell, I can dispel all the notions all you want. Money's coming from somewhere, everyone. It's it's just the apparent of it. But how people feel when they receive it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so nice. Like double cashback. Yeah. More brands poning up for it. Affirm if they're saying 0% commission. Obviously, it's they're charging Peloton in this case. You said four percent, which is it's quite a bit. Um, yeah. In that regard, so a firm is coming out scot free. They just have to be on the hook if people don't pay. I'm sure there's like terms and services for that. Yeah. Is that is that how that works? Like how how does that work in that regards for educational purposes? Of oh my gosh, after five months and I don't pay my six month, what happens? Yeah, a firm's a little different. Where it's like a straight. If a firm's actually like a straight loan, it's like a micro loan. Um, so obviously you'd have a mortgage for your home, but that's a significantly larger investment that you're paying over 30 years, but think of it as a micro mortgage. Um, so what they're doing is they're actually pulling, they're not pulling money from your credit card, which is kind of what some of the other buy now pay laters do. They're pulling money directly from your bank account. Basically what that means is that they can overdraft your bank account because you're giving them authorization to pull money out. Uh, but if you don't pay now, they're going to come after your credit. Uh, that's why it works really well in the U.S. because everything is driven by our credit scores here. Not every country has that. So that's why a firm is not in every country. Yeah. Uh, some people might be like, I don't care what my credit score is. I do everything in cash. I was just using this to, you know, scam some company or whatever. Right. Um, that, that's usually how it works. But that's why it's it's a little bit of a different type of buy now, pay later. And I think that's important for consumers to know overall is, you know, a firm is, is awesome. Like I, I love the brand. Uh, to your point, it's it's absolutely, um, you know, it's kind of like a referral affiliate type of model. In that case, they, maybe they didn't charge Peloton more. Maybe they used that as leverage to, to boost their brand. Yeah, to be the exclusive uh, provider, yeah. Exactly. Right, to be the exclusive provider, boost their brand. Um, and then they're capturing that consumer over time because it's like, oh, well, I used a firm for Peloton and now I want to use it for this new mattress or this new furniture or whatever. Now you're in their right? ecosystem. You have an account. My next investment. Right. And now I'm comfortable as a consumer. I already know that brand instead of trying to use someone else. Um, so that's, you know, the other piece to it. Right. Um, 
but there's a, a key distinction too in terms of with them they would they would actually come after you like you didn't pay your mortgage right or you're not paying your rent and you know basically you're going to get creditors that come after you um now and and fees right fees pile up pretty standard stuff right you don't pay your auto loan you don't pay your mortgage you're gonna have some bad consequences yeah it's a really high percentage of yeah fees exactly yes because yeah. i mean essentially it's just um um, you know, their, their cost of where the money's tied up into and what they're owed. So that, that's why credit cards and everything like that, if you pay off full, no one charges you every, like the, yep. everyone's making, they're making money. Like I said, if you're paying off a full credit card company is not making money off of me, they're making money off the merchant in the transaction. That's yep. it. You win as a consumer, but when a credit card, credit card company, again, look on Netflix and find the, how money works, uh, documentary and, there's a lot of this stuff that I find super fascinating. Credit companies will start to target people who have great with offers with great credit card history that will pay off in full that benefits the credit card company. They will also target people who are known to um, not pay off their credit cards in full. Thus, like their fees might be a little bit lower and they're okay with that because over time they'll still make money off of them. There's a lot of psychology around that. But in the firm model, like you said, it's more of a hey. I'll call it like a, like an errands or like a, like one of those, like, Hey, rent my TV or something like that. You pay in installments. You're not buying the good outright, but you're renting it. So you're renting equity that you may not have, but you have to pay it off over time or there's fees associated with it. Same with credit. Absolutely. Yeah. Same, same exact concept. Um, credit card companies are a little more, uh, <laughs> they're a little more aggressive about it. Yeah. Uh, I actually just saw that the other day. So I was like, oh, I should watch this because obviously I'm in the you business. Should. I funny. know about all this stuff, but it's uh, fun, sad, and scary all at the same time. Yeah. That's yeah, what we live in. Like, I want to see what they say and how they break that down in 30 minutes. Oh, but, same uh, thing with the Boeing, the, the Boeing uh, documentary. Again, this is a different thing. Boeing documentary. Yeah, yeah. Any documentary makes you really start to think about do I really want to A, use a credit card again, or B, <laughs> fly again, whatever you're watching or doing. <laughs> but it's kind of like, I'm going to take. You just got to be smarter about like what's going on in the world. Just be aware. I, I think that's the thing is like, in that case, do you feel like there's education around it enough or people are not aware of what that does? It, do people get in a lot of trouble? I, I'm, I'm curious if you guys have data around that. Yeah, I think, I think people aren't aware. Um, and, and that's, it's the sort of, oh, wow, this is too good to be true. You know, it's just like the, the whole Nigerian prince uh, cruise ship sort of thing right or, or all of those scams right a lot of people still fall for that like today um and and there's lots of stuff like that that um a lot of consumers just kind of fall into and and that's where some of these people are making a lot of money right at the end of the day with buy now pay later the the big focus is as with everything you got to look at it as it's just like a credit card right like you are taking a line of credit if you can't afford something that's a thousand dollars today and you know you won't be able to afford it in six weeks, don't try to buy it, right? Like that's that's probably not a good idea unless you're willing to take on the consequences, right? So if it's like, okay, well, I know if I don't pay it off in six weeks on my credit card, I am now going to have to pay interest on my credit card, which is 30% or whatever. Uh, and then that compounds over time and you go into debt, right? But in general, I think it's easy for consumers to fall into these traps because the persona from the financial institutions is this is too good to be true. And in some cases, there are really good deals. Um, 
you know, I have the luxury of knowing a lot of these traps so I can navigate when there are good deals and when there are not good deals. That's a whole other story. But, um, you know, you got to basically learn how to, you got to think about it as if, if something sounds too good to be true, oftentimes it's a lie. Um, and you got to think of it a little bit more defensively, especially when it comes to financial institutions, right? When, when a credit card, when Amex is like, sign up now and we'll give you a thousand bonus points and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, but your interest rate is 50%. Yep. Because we know that you defaulted on three other credit cards, you know, with other banks um, or whatever, right? Like they might be using it against you uh, and they certainly know your data. Um, that's the thing everyone talks about big it's data. All, These guys together, know exactly yeah. who you are. They know you better than you do. That's really, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and that's that can be used against you or it can be used as a like a, a helpful tool again. Yeah, um, tools if you do like education wise, again. Anything can be used as a weapon, but it can also be used for good. Uh, and, for sure. and that, could, well, I'm, I'm curious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the tables a little bit. How does this affect, can um, maybe like a business, like uh, in, in installments? And this is what I've talked about before, especially in Amazon, paying an firm, like or using an firm. If I'm a consumer or like a, a a brand, and I allow Amazon's accepting a firm, they're not getting the full payment yet. Obviously, it's not all up front on the direct to consumer side, I'm not sure how that works in terms of payouts. Like, is it only when they get paid that installment, then they'll release like that percentage of the revenue to you? Like how, how does that work on that end? So the, the way that all these buy now pay laters generally justify um, their higher fees. Like let's just say for, for international cross border, the topic of this conversation, generally your credit card fees are like at minimum 3% to accept a credit card from another country. Um, usually you're going to be three and a half, maybe 4%, depends how big your business is. Um, but like your raw costs from the credit card companies is about 3% for Afterpay, um, you know, Klarna, some of these other players in the buy now pay later space, a firm is not as much cross border yet, but they're getting there. Uh, they certainly will capture that market share, especially with Amazon piggybacking, um, in the cross-border space, these guys are saying, okay, well, you're going to pay 3% for a standard credit card, but I can lure more customers to your website and convince them to purchase your products, but I'm going to charge you 6%, you know, or 5% or, or 4%, right? But it's still significantly larger in terms of the cost. Yeah. However, I will pay you immediately upon mm. receiving that order. Interesting. So as soon as the goods, like if we're talking about a, an e-commerce merchant, right? As soon as like your package leaves your warehouse, that money's in your bank account. Um, all right. but we'll that's take out all the consumer risk. Right. And that's where okay. they justify the higher fees. Okay. So kind of a give and take. I mean, I guess in that capacity, if you're maybe in the hiring goods section, maybe that's worthwhile of that what that conversion could potentially mean for you, that lift, if you will. Um, very fascinating. I, th that's why I'm actually curious on, <clears throat> on the Amazon side if that's the same truth to that matter, because if they're in payment three and they're not, you know, that you're basically your revenue gets tied up into not just inventory. Now it's tied up into a, a drawn out process. And again, that's what it is. It's drawn out. You're not getting instantaneously. Once that decision's made here on March 2nd, I might get only the full funds in October. Like whoever knows what the, the terms are, but that's for one product instead of like in March, how does that affect my books? How does that affect all these other little things that you have to exactly. pay out on? all the the nuances and that's why i'm curious about like how how that back end works what about um in that capacity does cross-border or like currency conversion 
does that fluctuate depending on like that's why I'm assuming we're from only works in the US dollar because if you're talking about the Canadian dollar, oh the Canadian dollar's strong one month and then it drops the next month because of yep. you know riots in the capital or you know what I mean like stuff like world literally world uh stuff like that where if I had bought in something overseas like in Ukraine or, or Russia, you know what I mean? Like something like that, where it's not geopolitical, something geopolitical affects yeah. currency, not in my, not in my backyard, but it affects something. How does that work in that regards? You think? Yeah, absolutely. The the way, and that's, that's why some of these players don't have as robust of cross-border solutions yet with buy now, pay later. Cause again, again, essentially they're giving you a micro loan in some way, shape or form, whether they're doing it on your credit card, like Afterpay does, or they're pulling it straight from your bank account, like a firm, but from a cross-border perspective, there would be some fluctuation as a consumer. Um, because the, the intention is like, if I were to pull hundred us dollars out of a bank account every month, well, if your bank accounts in Canadian dollars, that's going to be like, maybe it might be 125 CAD today. Next month, it might be 140. Um, who knows, right? Uh, and, and that's where there's a super speculative market. I mean, foreign exchange rates move every nanosecond. Like, it's fast. Um, it is significantly faster and more complex than your general stock market. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think what a lot of a lot of the buy now pay leaders are doing, and, and Klarna has done probably the best global expansion because they started in Europe where there's already so many currencies and so many nuances and consumer behavior. Uh, in such a small geographic region um, that they did a really good job in terms of global expansion. I'd say they're probably the elite player right now um, mm-hmm. on that side of the world, uh, but they're slowly getting into the U S and they just launched in Canada a couple months back and have been really throttling up there too. Um, and what they do is instead they would sort of, let's say the the product is a thousand U S dollars and they want to pay in four installments of two fifty. Uh, what, what we would do and, and what Klarna would do, the way we would kind of help with this on the reach side too, is we would convert that thousand US dollars today into Canadian dollars and then allow those installments to be, so if it was whatever Canadian dollars, the installments yeah. would be the same for the consumer, but that cut the, the merchant would still get that thousand USD back. So that That's way, again, for my books, like I got to go and pay my suppliers. I know what my margin percentages is. I know what my, you know, my marketing spend is, um, you know, that, that helps keep transparency between both buyer and seller. But again, someone's got to take that risk over time. And that's where it's, you know, that's where it can get complex with some of this stuff and understanding the financial market nuances and how to, how to do them properly. Um, and that's where we're just all about the education and, you know, transparency of unveiling the curtain. I know. Well, that that's what we do here too. And I would talk, probably all day on this, obviously you and I talk in the same industry quite a bit. And it's just so fascinating, not coming directly coming from the e-commerce side into FinTech super fascinating for me to just learn new things every single day, but trying to break it down for people who are, for example, question yesterday came to me, I'm in Pakistan, I'm selling in Australia as well as the UAE. Can I send, can I send currency here? Not here. Well, well, like I'm like, all right, <laughs> breathe. Let's all let's break this down. And so it is it's complexity like that because that's how business how businesses now operate. It's yeah. not as simple as like walking down the street, go to your bank, pull up money, pay local vendors, whatever. It is now completely more complex. Webs are everywhere. You just have to understand, you know, where money's coming and going and what that scaling nature looks like. So I mean so Matt, 
I would, again, talk forever with you. I know we're already past the <laughs> close to the hour mark. If people are interested in reach, um, which I know they will be after listening to this, how do they get in touch with you and how do they learn more, uh, either in touch with you or how do they learn more about it? Yeah, best way to get in touch with me directly is uh, just through LinkedIn. Um, happy to uh, happy to help give some education or pass along material or advice. Uh, if you want to learn more about reach, you can check out our website withreach.com. Um, but the brand is reach. <laughs> Don't get the brand that. is reach, but it's with reach. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like within reach globally. Uh, I like that. But, uh, hey, you're not ping pong and trying to understand like you get calls all the time about ping pong uh, <laughs> right. equipment and stuff like that. That ping pong going across the table, across border, you get it. Like we all get this. People yeah. get it. It's funny, but confusing. Let's just <laughs> yes. call it. <laughs> It's a good play on words. There we go. Uh, yeah, withreach.com. Yeah. Yep. Okay, perfect. Gotcha. Uh, Matt, thank you so much. I call you. I call everyone who makes it through an episode with me a friend of the show now, so you're now a friend of Crossover Commerce. Happy to have you on anytime and talk and nerd out with me in my corner of the internet on international e-commerce payments. Man, thanks so much. I learned a lot. I know it doesn't seem like I'm just like sitting here and I'm like, that, that's super. But I know pay later, man. I it, Super fascinating. Um. I love the evolution. I think it's helpful, but it's also just another thing we have to be worried, worried and to be aware of. Us. So thanks for kind of shining some light on some of those topics today. And uh, people will be reaching out with you. Um, thanks so much for hopping on today. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. It was a great awesome. time. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. And thank you. Yeah. Thank thank you everyone for hopping on Crossover Commerce. This is episode 225. Cool. A little milestone on every 25 episodes. I feel like there's, there's a, it's always guaranteed to be a good episode. So that, that I should go back and look. Every 25 episodes, it seems like this this little marker that I have down. But thanks, Matt Steinbrecher of Reach. Just Reach, but it's at withreach.com. So make sure everyone check that out. If you're listening to this, it's the website and how to contact Matt is in the show notes below. And then everything on social media right now, if you're watching live, go ahead and connect with Matt on LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's the profile we used for him. So go ahead and connect with him on LinkedIn and reach out to him directly. That being said, this is episode 225. We have one more episode this week. Don't you think that we have more content coming away? Because we do. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to be talking with Kobe Flood of Brighter Click, how to test with purpose using audience creative and copy structure. A little more, more nuanced in terms of what we're going to be talking about, a little bit different than the e-commerce payments, but that's what this podcast is all about. I call it my corner of the internet. I, I know my place here, um, but I like to bring in really cool people to learn, understand, and grow and help people uh, grow their business. So with that being said, everyone, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for hopping across over commerce. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode. Take care.